gentlemen. We have a special treat for you today. We have the one, the only. Welcome to the State Lines Network. Welcome to the Boldly Going Podcast, creative, brilliant, inspirational people of the universe on planet Earth. And I am your host, Jason Sowell. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you so much for uh, checking out episode zero and episode one with my buddy Joel Davis. I'm really excited about today's episode, episode two, with my good friend Natalie Jane Haney, uh, founder of Bell Floor Studio. She is amazing. She's incredible. At, uh, she's a floral designer. Uh, very cool what she does. She's an artist, has a, an incredible story, uh, just a beautiful person stepping out and doing what she loves, create, what she says, creating beauty every day, which is an, uh, a really cool statement and a great way to live life. So I'm really excited for you to hear our conversation, uh, talked about some fun stuff, talked about her living in Paris and talked a little bit about the art scene in Tampa, which is where we both live. And uh, just just a great, great person. I hope you'll learn a lot from her. And uh, she also, uh, this is being released before um, uh, Valentine's Day, obviously. And she makes uh, some beautiful handmade uh, floral arrangements, uh, easy, <clears throat> excuse me, easy gifts for uh, the person you love uh, at Valentine's Day. So you should definitely check her out. Check out Bell Fleur Studios, B-E-L-L-E. F-L-E-U-R, Bellfleur Studios, and uh, jump on that. She's got stuff around Tampa for sale, uh, different places, so you should definitely check out her site. Check her out on social media. Really excited for you to hear from her. Uh, a couple things real quick before we jump into the episode. Uh, we are a part of the, uh, the State Lines Podcast Network, and I just want to encourage you to check out the State Lines Podcast Network. There's some incredible people on there doing some doing some great podcasts. I can't list them all, but uh, uh, my friend uh, Chelsea Quinn uh, is doing, uh, doing a great thing, a uh, great podcast called Literally Dying. Uh, I'm really excited about it. You should def- definitely check her out. My buddy uh, 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 Daniel Cura, this is everything. You should definitely check him out. He's got some fun conversations on there, some fun interviews, some great people. So you should definitely check those out. Check out everything that's going on in State Lines. Very, very cool. Also want to encourage you to check out my organization. As always, Current Initiatives. You can check us out online at engagecurrent.org, engagecurrent.org. And I uh, would love for you to volunteer, jump in and support and be a part of, uh, be a part of uh, our initiatives that we have going on, the Laundry Project, Hope for Homes Project, and Affordable Christmas. Uh, check those things out. And then also, uh, once again, uh, check out By the Way Clothing. Dot com. By the way, clothing.com. Got some cool stuff on there you should check out. And uh, go do it. Go do some things. Go check out uh, State Lines, all those, all those uh, podcasts and articles online there. Really, really cool stuff. Some great people doing some incredible things. Now, let's get into it. This episode with Natalie Jane Haney of Bell Floor Studios. She's amazing. You're going to love her. Uh, here we go. No more dead cats. There mm. haven't been any. Nope. There haven't been any dead cats since the other day, so that's positive. Okay. 
We're recording now, by the way. The roosters, however, have been uh, quite active. Not sure if it's the nightlife that they live in sort of a perpetual not knowing when day begins and night ends, or... <laughs> well, they're not on a farm. They're in the middle of a city. They're, in the, they're city roosters, so... Yeah. They're soosters. They're definitely, uh... Oh, LaCroix. Yeah. I better open is mine, the too. Proper, is that the proper pronunciation? Yeah, people say LaCroix, La but, That's what I always say. you know, being bilingual, it's actually LaCroix. <laughs> oh, wow. You're right. That does taste a lot like... It's effervescent suntan lotion. <laughs> it does taste like suntan lotion. Yeah. Wow. But in a good way. Right. It feels like... <clears throat> it does feel like I'm drinking suntan lotion, but also... An enjoyable suntan lotion. Secret, secret guilty pleasure. Commune and Co. Mm -hmm. Coconut LaCroix. Try it. Oh, okay. Commune Co. Yeah. So we just, uh, Joel was on the podcast recently. Speaking of Commune and Co. I can't wait to hear what he had to say. He always has something poignant to say. He's so much smarter than the rest of us. Care Bear on top of that. He is. The picture that I took of him during our... You mean the dead picture? He looks dead. I know. I just... He was in the middle of saying something. Yeah, don't do that to me, Jason. No, no. I I took a proper picture of you. So, uh, so that we get it right, because I always call you Natalie Jane. It's actually Mm -hmm. Natalie Jane Haney, right? Correct. Okay. And uh, so, let's jump into it. Uh, welcome everyone to the podcast, the Boldly Going podcast, as we say, Boldly Going uh, people, uh, creative, brilliant, inspirational people of the universe on planet Earth. And the whole premise of the podcast is to talk to people that are boldly going, that are doing things, that uh, they are taking the risk. They're boldly going and doing the things that they love, that they're passionate about. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. As I said, as I mentioned, Natalie Jane Haney from Belle Fleur Studio. Um, she is incredible. You're probably the funnest person I know. Wow, that's a huge compliment. <clears throat> well, it's I true. Have a, I have to. I have to really keep that going. It's a lot of pressure, Jason. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I well because you've had such a you've had such a fun life. I mean, you have a great personality, but um, you have an interesting story. So, um, talk a little bit about Bell Floor. You started Bell Floor a few years ago, right? Bell Floor was started in 2011. Um, the idea behind Belle Fleur is that it's first and foremost a luxury product, but in my eyes and sort of my philosophy is that luxury should not be exclusive to wealthy people. I think that there is a way that ordinary people should be able to incorporate beautiful things in their everyday life. Uh, the French call that la vie quotidienne which is your everyday life. It's what you have in your everyday life, just like bread, water, wine, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. To me, um, flowers should be part of that world. Um, I have a, a slogan slogan mm-hmm. that's attached to Belfleur that is create beauty every day. And I like, I like thinking of, you know, whether it's our interactions that we have on a daily basis or whether it's something that we make with our two hands, the quality of the work 
we do the quality of the speech we have when we talk to others. Um, every communication, every interaction, every action, every inaction, that there's some kind of creation of something beautiful and sustainable in that. Right. So. Nice. Um, so you weren't just being... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You weren't just speaking French just to... For, to speak French, you actually have a reason that you speak French. I do have a reason that I speak French, yes. <laughs> Which is, you used to live in France, right? I or did, Paris. yes. Um, I went to Paris first in 2002 on a study abroad that lasted eight weeks. And I had a, a college professor who has been taking students from the University of South Florida to France for the last 28 years, who was extremely influential in my decision to move to France six months following spending the summer there. And um, I think that that was my first, you know, the podcast called Boldly, you know, starting with the words boldly. I think that was my my very first truly bold move was taking the leap of faith to, to do that, to live that dream. And I think, I can't be positive of this, but I'm... I'm pretty sure to this day that I'm the only USF graduate that finished their degree at a distance from a French university. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. I can't be positive, <clears throat> but I think at least in the art department, I was... We're going to say it. Yeah. USF should be proud. I, 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 they, they probably have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you should call them up and say, listen... I'm going to let them know. I need realize, a special award for having... You have here. Yeah, um, so that's that's fascinating. So we're sitting uh, currently in your in your home in Ybor City. You're newly moved to Ybor City, correct? Correct. And um, you grew up in you grew up in Florida, right? I am from Tampa originally. I was okay. born in Seminole Heights. Um, Seminole Heights is still sort of my spirit animal neighborhood to to a degree. Um, Ybor City is now the new home to my design studio space and live space, which function as one, uh, which, you know, I think in, in the States, unless you're in an older city, that sounds odd, but in a European city, it's very common for a bread maker to live above yeah. the bakery, you know, right. for the, you know, a floral designer to live above the flower shop, um, you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever you want right. to call it. Right. So I, I like that idea. I think it's also uh, very practical. Mm-hmm. It's a more economical way of being able to offer a wider variety of clients something luxury. Yeah. Um, when I keep those that, that foremost in the foreground of what I do, when I make that kind of decision, I'm also making it for my audience. Yeah. Interesting. So... Um... Uh, hence why we were talking about the, the chickens. Ybor City yep. is known for the for the roosters and the chickens. Yes, that just it wander is. through the neighborhoods. I have, a, uh, I have a rooster <laughs> alarm clock that makes sure that I am up by at least 6 a.m. <laughs> or at least or, I'm stirring. Or 2 a.m. Or 2 a.m., um, depending on uh, which nightclub is blasting music mm-hmm. and... You know, right. which <laughs> car driving base is waking up the rooster. And, you know, honestly... It doesn't bother me. I think it's charming. I've always been yeah. in love with historical districts, whether it's New Orleans, Savannah, Charleston, New York. I like the energy of the city. So 
I'm, I'm, I'm adjusting to that okay. and it doesn't bother me. Yeah. So anyone listening to this podcast maybe has a point of reference for Ybor City and I've, I live in Ybor City also and I find it fascinating the, the perspective that people have about Ybor City. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first moved down here and my younger brother moves here and he moved here from Northwest Florida where we're from and he started going to USF and he would, people would ask him, oh, where do you live? And he'd say Ybor City and they'd all have this response like, oh man. It's so dangerous. Why do you live down there? And but I thought to myself, like that's totally not a that's totally not a proper perspective of Ebor City. Well, I mean, every place is dangerous. Every place can be dangerous, um, no matter where you live. But the fascinating thing about Ebor City, and I think it um, fits very well with you, is that it is historic. It does have an artistry to it. Mm-hmm. There is a, and you can probably speak to this better, but like artistry, I feel like. Um, there, there's almost a, there almost needs to be a, a dirtiness to the, to the surrounding for a lot of art and beauty. Like we, we I typically that... think beauty and, and, and ugly is two separate things, mm-hmm. but I feel like they're probably pretty intertwined in a lot of ways. I, I feel that way as well. I think that, you know, you can call it the dichotomy of a city, you know, having a patina, <clears throat> Mm-hmm. So to speak, to use an art term, um, you know, something that is bronze that tarnishes, or something that you know is is very very old, you know, a building that's degraded to some degree, but has so much charm and character and stories. Yeah. And I think that for me, um, you know, Ebor City creatively has been a touchstone for me since I was. I, I had an art showing here when I was like 13 years old, oh, years wow. and years ago. And, <clears throat> you know, the skateboarding culture, too, has sort of woven in and out of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, any kind of counterculture or youth culture is something that's still very relevant and important to me. Yeah. And I think it should be. You know, if you're a creator, you have to have some kind of connection to what's relevant, what's now, what you know, what speaks. Yeah. And so I think what's great about Ybor City is, you know, the Spanish-Cuban heritage, um, you know, the cobblestone streets that you see, the train that passes through here, you know, the nightlife, but also, you know, the the vibe. There's a vibration. Yeah. And so that's attractive to me, I think, creatively. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you talked about you talked about artistry a lot. Um, essentially, Belle Fleur, mm-hmm. uh, not to make it too simple, but... Since you're a florist. I am. Um, I I went to school for classic and contemporary (laughs) painting. And how I got into floral design was, you know, one of those things where I think that your life takes you down different paths. And while I was living in France, my, my, my primary focus was to finish school. But I slowed down my process because I had to actually learn to speak another language, mm-hmm. which was extremely difficult, you know, being in my 20s at the time. Um, and um, Spanish having been more relevant to my life coming from a city that's got such a rich Spanish heritage. Um, so taking classes at a high level at a university but not speaking the language sort of taught me this whole other myriad of skills and one of them was learning um, valuable social cues. Mm-hmm. That was huge. Observing, listening, becoming a great listener. And then, you know, those skills sort of refined themselves into this very strange thing that happened where I ended up working for celebrities. <laughs> because okay. I could be this fly on the wall. <laughs> I could 
you know, be there, but not be there, you know, anticipate needs, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the artistic skill set sort of came into play with catering, with setting up tables, with decorating, you know, estate homes for the holidays Mm -hmm. and, you know, being able to sort of walk in and out of these environments with ease and a certain amount of, you know, grace or poise, whatever you want to call it without making anyone feel uncomfortable and, you know, a chameleon of sorts. And so, um, that, I I feel like that's when I first started understanding how to compose things outside of a painting, um, to make things beautiful, whether it was a table, a meal, um, a menu, Mm -hmm. all of those things sort of came together in this weird way. So that's what I did following my time in France. Okay. So I was, I was pretty much, um, on the road a lot. Um, lots of, personal sacrifice before Belfleur had a chance to become like a glimmer in my eye. Okay. Yeah. You did a lot of traveling. A lot of traveling, yes. All over the world, right? All over the world. Um, Notably, um, I would say the the person that was probably the biggest standout in the first two years of my time um, back in the States, so to speak, because that's where I was hired, was the musician um, Jimmy Buffett. Mm Mm-hmm. Who... Is no stranger to most people's ears. Yeah, no at stranger. Least, Especially if you name. grew up in Florida. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like, you get a... I think when you're born in Florida, they hand you a, a Jimmy Buffett They CD. definitely <laughs> hand you some version of Margaritaville or, you know, mm-hmm. Son of a Sailor. One of those, right. one of those <laughs> tunes. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So, how did you... If you want to talk about that. Um, sure. How did you fall into that? You know, it was, I, I feel like the, the whole, back to the name of the podcast, the whole notion of being bold. When I came back from France, it was, they say in French, contre coeur. It was definitely against my wishes. I did not want to come back. By that point, I was completely Parisian, complete with a bike, an apartment, a boyfriend, mm-hmm. friends, a whole entire sort of, um, you know, expat lifestyle that yeah. was that I had really earned some street cred by that point because yeah. we were going on four, going into my fifth year there, and I was comp- fluent in the language. Yeah. Which, well, and I'm just assuming I've never been to Paris. It's a place I've always wanted to go, but I feel like Paris in general is just a hard place to walk away from once you've immersed yourself there. It was. It was. It was. It was heartbreaking to a degree, and I had. I think the proximity to art, you know, there isn't a way to be there and to not be struck by every level of art, from street art to architecture. I mean, it's all around you, and it's so much part of their culture. You know, whether you have a concert violinist practicing in, you know, one of the the squares in town or whatever, I mean, it's... It's so interwoven into every facet of your life that you become extremely spoiled by it. Mm-hmm. That, you know, anywhere else, I mean, you kind of, you can't really help but sort of become a snob to, I think, yeah. to some degree. Because you, you your day-to-day experience is pretty rich, I would say, in terms of music, art, you know, everything visual that could stimulate you or inspire you is, is very um, accessible yeah. in Paris. So, Yeah. It was hard to come home. So, okay. Uh, I'm going to come back to that. But one thing that I'm curious about, I want to ask you about, is um, you were talking about artistry. Obviously, that's a big part of who you are. And um, 
I feel like people people tend to look at artistry within certain parameters. Like mm-hmm. painting is an art. Um, you know, there, a lot of people would say music is an mm-hmm. art or whatever. Um, when it comes to what I love about what you do is that in the way that you talk about essentially creating floral arrangements for certain things and mm-hmm. putting things together that are that are largely floral. Um, I love that you talk about that in terms of it being art. Um, in your mind, or what what puts you in the perspective of like that is something artistic. That's something art that you put together. That's not. I don't think traditionally someone would say if you gave them categories, what would be art? I don't think traditionally someone would go, yeah, floral arrangements or whatever whatever term you want to put on it is art. But I agree with you. I think it is. Obviously, I've seen your stuff, but why why is that a passion? Why do you see those two things interleaked? I don't think initially, if you had asked me, you know, maybe twenty years ago, that question, I would have made the link. I don't think it was until I lived somewhere where, first of all, I could always <clears throat> afford flowers for my home, and I lived in some shoeboxes while I was okay. in Paris. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, a shoebox under a railroad track. I would have lived there if that's yeah. what I had to do to okay. stay. Um, but I could always afford uh, flowers, and I, I think that they, they lended a practical, very um, beautiful way of just brightening up your life, you know, whether you're waking up and you're looking at it. So to answer your question, having studied painting, you know, we were setting up still lifes of flowers in art school and creating paintings from that. And so the full circle to that is now that I'm working with what I call ready-made art, because, you know, essentially it's God's design. You have these beautiful flowers that, you know, come from different parts of the world. There's mm-hmm. someone that gives them so much care and love before they ever make their way to me. Yeah. There's this whole ecosystem around it from the bees and, you know, the birds. And and that all ties into this whole notion of love and creating beauty. I mean, it's all, it sounds, sounds a little bit cliche, but I don't mind cliches. Um, <clears throat> but when I am composing something, it is no different than if I was standing in front of a canvas. Everything is blank. Yeah. I see the colors and there's there's something that happens I think with my style of design that's very much like my paintings. And I would have never made that connection 20 years ago, but it's 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 completely relevant now because I have an understanding of art. Mm-hmm. I think that when I create with floral design, it can't help but meet in the middle. Yeah. You know, one thing informs the other. And then, you know, if I was to pick up a paintbrush at this point, I'm sure that having worked with three-dimensional ready-made art, which is what I call my flowers, it would come back around in the other direction. I just think that they're married at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. So so when you, let's say, someone hires you uh, to commission of like, I need flowers for whatever... Mm-hmm. whatever event or just for my home or whatever the case may be um what's your starting point because it sounds like with an artist that canvas that blank canvas being the starting point and you see something at least every artist i've ever talked to has said some variation of when i look at a canvas or i look at a blank wall i see the design the design is already there mm-hmm. i see it i'm just bringing that design out of whatever that canvas is that's a good question. I think that where the, you know, having had my experience in luxury hospitality working for extremely wealthy people, mm-hmm. you you learn to read people and you learn to understand kind of the between the lines of what they're looking for. 
And I think I've been fortunate thus far that most of my clients have found me via word of mouth or they've seen my work. So they, they kind of, they kind of know what they're getting when I meet with them. Right. And so what I try to do when I meet with a client and I'm in a space that I'm designing for is pick up on the vibration of that space. You know, mm. whether it's a white tablecloth environment, whether there's some kind of industrial architecture, which is such the case for Eulalie, one right. of the Gone Smart restaurants that I designed for here in Tampa. Mm -hmm. um, all of those elements inform my design aesthetic. And what is the best scenario, which I can't imagine a better scenario, which is such the case of Eulalie here in Tampa, is that they let me do whatever I want. Okay. So for, you know, if there's a delivery once a week for the last year and a half, no delivery has looked the same, but they've all been inspired by the season, what's available seasonally, you know, what color palette is speaking to me at that time, what texture, you know, and those designs are unique to you lately. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's <clears throat> extremely fun and gratifying for me because it's, it's like creating a whole new painting every single week. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I love it. Uh, yeah, because everything you just said right there is very much like what you would hear a painter or someone like that, some sculptor or something like that would say that, <laughs> I mean, I think every artist would go, just leave me alone and let me, let me make the thing that I want to make. Yeah, I think that, I think too, I mean, to that point, um, you know, because a bulk of what my, my business is, is also weddings, mm -hmm. that can get a little bit more constrictive <clears throat> because... I think every every bride, unless they're extremely cool, and they are, they're all great, you know, <laughs> but unless they're super rad <laughs> and they just love me to pieces. Or they don't care. Or they don't care. <laughs> but maybe they don't care because they've got great taste and that's why they hired someone that's professional to make something beautiful for them. Right. But um, I think that that's a more constrictive design aesthetic for me because I'm designing within their vision. Right. Which is a popular term used in the wedding industry a lot. Right. But um, yeah, the the dream client is the person that allows me to just create and okay. gives me a budget that so that I have something to work with. Right. And that to me is just awesome. I love okay. it. So when someone gives you their vision, as mm -hmm. you said, how do you find uh, how do you find your artistic voice mm -hmm. within someone else's vision like how do you land on that thing that you handed them that they're happy about but you're also like yeah I love this thing that I created not the yeah I made this thing that you wanted made and I hate it but at least you're happy that's tricky and I think that that's a question that that falls between um, what type of business model you're creating for your brand okay <clears throat> And, you know, there's, there's several ways to kind of come at this um, question, but one of them would be, do you interview your client as much as they're interviewing you? Mm -hmm. Which okay. to me has become mm -hmm. more valuable moving into year five with Belfler so that I can not only, you know, I don't want to say cherry pick because I like to, I like to work with a myriad of clients, but I want that client to be right for Belfler and for Belfler to be right for that client. Yeah. And if someone's coming to me with such a strong aesthetic that I'm basically copying or replicating someone else's creation from Pinterest or whatever, right. that does not interest me at all. And typically I will move on to another client. Okay. <laughs> Politely, respectfully, but it's sure. probably not the right fit. So Yeah. 
I feel like that's probably pretty common. Very common. Days. Yeah, it is. Pinterest. I don't know if Pinterest ever hears this. Don't get mad. Don't get mad, like, Pinterest. We love like, you. I feel like Pinterest, as much as it is the uh, the great engine of ideas, because it's a shared place where you mm-hmm. can find all kinds of stuff. I think it's also a killer of ideas because sure. someone, as I feel like that's probably pretty common when it comes to brides, especially like they've spent hours on Pinterest, mm-hmm. and they've done all these things, and they wanted to create this exact same thing that they found, and maybe someone who's never done art before doesn't always understand that um, outside of it not being yours and not mm-hmm. being something that's your passion about but like it, unless you have a machine that makes everything exactly the same and all the perimeters are exactly the same even if you made that same thing that they you ha- they handed you a picture and you made that same thing it's not going to be the same thing they'll never be happy the client the, that's the client that you can't please because they're looking for a replication they're also, by the way, probably the same person that will never be happy with anything in their life <laughs> because it'll never be perfect enough. And the thing about working with a live material, mm-hmm. and I had um, this interesting conversation at one of the markets, my, yeah, an interesting conversation at one of the, the markets that I try to do as often as I can because it gets me out there in front of the public since I don't advertise. Mm-hmm. Um, was that someone had asked me, oh, you know, I heard that if you put, you know, bleach in the water for the flowers that it helps them live. And I said, well, would you drink bleach in your water? Well, no. Why would someone put bleach in their I have flowers? no idea. I have no idea where this myth was created, but certainly, certainly is not true. And so, um... Hey, no, you're fine. That's pretty good. We're... Just so you, we're in Natalie's home and she's getting it painted at the same time. Yeah, yeah. so we've got hey, Travis that just joined the conversation. Hi there, guys. Hey. Um, What's up? Nothing. I just want to let you know that uh, the paint that you have has been watered down, so it's actually useless. Okay, perfect. Thank yeah. you. Um, That's wonderful to um, know. Um, I'm going to go ahead and cover this. Okay, no problem. All right, perfect. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Love you. Love you, guys. You're the best. You're the, you're the, you're like the best. I like your paint. Outfit. His paint outfit's pretty rad. Outfit. It is. Outfit. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Not yeah, like dad, but I'm working on it. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have the belly. You gotta get the. You gotta, you gotta get, get the, the belly dad. going, Travis, before you can too. be a dad. Yeah, 120 pounds soaking wet. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You You'll get there. You keep. Minutes. You keep trying. You'll get yeah. there. <laughs> All right, guys. Later. Thanks. So, um, where was I? Oh, yes. Okay, bleach in your water. You would not drink bleach in your water. So it led me to this whole conversation about. How to keep something that's been cut from its life source alive. And then I found myself explaining to this person that really what I do is like being a mortician. (laughs) And this, this got into this whole like scientific segue, like into understanding, you know, how the molecular structure of plants works. Right. And the, the easiest way to sort of explain this is if you take a tomato that's not yet ripe, what do you do? You put it in a window and you let it ripen. Well, so are you going to do that with something you want to keep alive as long as possible? Absolutely not, particularly in Florida because it's hot. And so some of this is common sense when it comes to creating something and helping it live. And then going back to the client never being happy, this whole idea of, you know, that pink is not the pink that I saw on Pinterest. Okay, well, was it Photoshopped pink? 
because this is the same mm -hmm. flower, but maybe the acidity in the soil was a little bit higher during the month they were harvested. There's this whole respect of nature that to me is intertwined in everything I do that, you know, I try to go into a very sort of layman's way of explaining this to clients so that they have a realistic expectation of nature, basically. It's just, yeah. I mean, hurricane season, one. You know, are you getting married during hurricane season? All right, let's talk about that because <laughs> there could be a few things that I could see, I could foresee happening if we get a category four rolling through town the week of your wedding. Right. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thought because from, I mean, think about, ultimately, I feel like with flowers, you're, you're right. When you, for it to live, you would leave it alone. You would let it, or you would till the soil, or you would give it water, but you wouldn't cut it from its root system mm -hmm. and put it in a, in a piece of glass, right? Or, right. or in something else. Like, so if you're going to do that. Ultimately, that's killing it. You're, yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's no longer a plant once it's been cut from its life source. Right. It's basically a beautiful corpse that you want to keep cold mm -hmm. and dark for as long as possible <clears throat> okay. for the best result. Ice cubes in the water, that helps too. Very oh, practical, very practical things. Okay. I'm all about the practical solution. So what I find fascinating about that, and I think um, as you're talking, I was saying two things of, about that idea, because I feel like you're right. We do live in a world of Photoshopped everything. Like, yes. It's rare that you're going to see a photo of anything or anybody that is not in some way filtered it's not edited in some way it's not made to be for it to look the best i've heard of things like with flowers where people add some type of coloring to the mm -hmm. um you know or like with mixed drinks you know like that is supposed to look a certain color you're adding certain colors mm -hmm. even though you might be using a real life fruit but it's not the exact same like with strawberries you know i'm going to add a coloring to it to make those strawberries redder when they're when they're done you know and so the thing that fascinates me about that, we live in a world that is so, um, I guess, focused on perfection, making ourselves look perfect, making our outfits look perfect, we don't like blemishes, all those kinds of things. Um, and we want things to last forever. You know, we buy, like people buy fake trees because they want that tree to last forever. They buy, you know, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately in life, that's not how... That's not how it goes. And I would, and I'm sure you would probably argue the most beautiful thing is not the fake thing that's going to last forever. It's the real thing that you cut from its life source and preserved for as long as you could. Like that seems to be the more beautiful thing because of the texture of it, the realness of it. I had an assistant help me um, on this very large wedding that I did in December for a local newscaster here in Tampa. And this wedding was sizable in terms of the amount of creation that was going into it and the prep work and just all of that and she looked at me after we set up the wedding space and she said oh my gosh I cannot believe how hard you've worked this week and all of this is going to be over in seven hours <clears throat> and I said yeah but you know what this memory that I helped these people create to celebrate their union their love their commitment to each other I yeah. did my part in making sure it was as beautiful as it possibly could be and it lasts for the duration of the night. And so, you know, that goes into this whole other conversation, um, you know, that's somewhat philosophical about, you know, what we create 
how long it lasts, the quality right. of it. Is it a right. moment? Is it a memory? How do we preserve it? Is it with photography? Is it with memory? Is it with mm-hmm. sentiment, emotion, all of that? Yeah. And I think that's the part that's the abstract that plays into what I do on a daily basis. Like I, It's rare that I show up somewhere and someone doesn't have an emotion when they see what I've created for them. Right. And that, to me, is the, the awesome... That's what crosses over from the hard work into like this existential right. part of what I do. Yeah. Not to sound overly dramatic. No, but it no, can totally. Be. I mean, that's the, it can be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's part of the human experience, and I think I love the so your 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 mantra, your slogan, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it for your business, create beauty every day. I think it's very fascinating how that weaves in because um, if you think about it, if everything lasted forever if that well instead of instead of getting this fresh flower that's real and living and has a scent and all those things if I replace that with something fake and it does last forever there's no need for me to create beauty every day and at some point day or two later we forget about that beauty yeah it's it's the notion also I think of um, not taking things for granted Mm -hmm. you know I think when you live in the moment versus the you know, this is like a whole separate discussion, really. Wow, we're getting like deep no, here. It's not. This is, no, but I think this is so, like, this is the bedrock, I think, for a lot of stuff. It I is. Think, it's the, and it's really what matters. Yeah. It's what matters is the quality of our creations, the duration of them, the realization of, you know, something beautiful. Um, all of that to me is extremely relevant. And, you know, the bedrock, yeah, what are you, what's your foundation? Mm-hmm. You know, are you doing something for temporary or are you doing it for permanent? Is this something you're living in your day-to-day or is it something you're living for one day? Right. Yeah. I'm a big Doctor Who fan. Mm-hmm. You ever watch that show? No, but I'm we've discussed nerdy. this before. That's okay. I mm-hmm. like your nerdiness. Uh, thanks. Um, so there's an episode. There's a lot of philosophy that goes on with that show, Doctor Who. But there was one specifically where, and I forget the whole scenario, but he looks, the, so the Doctor, he's just... You know, almost everlasting time traveler, and he travel. His companions are humans, and their their default or their breakdown, their negative against them is that they eventually die. They can't. He he regenerates to a new body and a new life, and continues on. And he's hundreds of years old, but humans don't do that. And it's fascinating because there's one there's one episode, and I forget what the scenario was of why he said it, but he looks he he makes a statement of you humans are always trying to hold on to the things from your past. As if to say, like, you're constantly looking back and trying to hold on to that thing that already happened rather than either, one, looking at the thing that's next and ahead of you and also looking at the thing right in front of you, the beauty that's in front of you at the moment. Yeah. You're too distracted by trying to hold on to this memory from back here. Absolutely. I think that's incredibly poignant and relevant to bring up. Um, you know whether it's business philosophy or lifestyle philosophy for me at this point they've married and I feel like that is the luxury if you want to put it that way because having your own business I don't know is a luxury Mm -hmm. I think it's something amazing that can happen here in our country um particularly for a minority being a woman being Mm -hmm. able to have that choice to start a business um but it forces me to stay on my toes and live in the now um, yeah. being an entrepreneur and 
starting something without this cushion of venture cap, like trust fund kid or, you know, mm-hmm. wealthy husband or whatever your scenario right. is that makes, you know, being an entrepreneur a little more cush. I haven't had any of that. And so it's been relevant for me to stay on my toes, to live in the now, to not future freak, as I call it, because you, you yeah. don't know what's around the corner. You know, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Like, well, there you go. Yeah, sure. So what did I do up to that point? What was the quality of what I did up to that point? What were my interactions? You know, what was lasting that I created that, mm-hmm. you know, was even if it was just for an event? Yeah. I think about those I, things. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I've been wrestling with this idea too, and I had a conversation with um, a pastor, a friend of mine, probably a couple of years ago, and we were talking about my organization, what I do, and kind of the structure of keeping things together and he you know there's always a terminology of like that thing that will last beyond you and we always I think a lot of times we we put that in context of like the job that we have or the business that we've created and I've really been kind of wrestling with this idea because there's so much of an idea especially in a world especially in like a a church culture or nonprofit organization culture of like um, when you die the person that started and found it when you die this thing has to last beyond you. Um, and I kind of wrestle with that because I think, I mean, maybe, but is that like that business itself should last beyond me or the results of that business should last beyond me? You know, like, um, and I don't know if it's like an innate thing in humanity that we're constantly thinking about when I die, I want whatever it is I'm doing to be passed on to someone else. And I'm, I'm kind of like wondering and wrestling with the, um, is it specifically that business, like when you die, that someone else takes over Bellfleur and that becomes their thing and Bellfleur the name and that business lives on? Or is it the beauty that you created and the memories that you created for people and the, the purpose and all of that, that the things that you created last? Beyond? I think my perspective as a woman is very different to that because I think this notion of these patriarchal businesses that go on and on and on with a name and so and so Mm -hmm. the third has carried on his father's legacy and Mm -hmm. you know who was his father what was this man about I think that that to me is something that's it's so abstract just being a woman and being a single woman for that matter that my my thought my my thought process rarely goes to that place and I can think of for example we have a unique restaurant here in Tampa, the Columbia restaurant that's owned by the Gonsmart family. And yeah. it's one of the oldest restaurants in the Southeast of the U S right. and continuously family owned. And I think about that in terms of what makes sense that it goes on and on and on. And it's this beautiful meeting place where people come together for meals and, you know, it has so much meaning and character and charm and lends itself to this neighborhood for one. Right. Um, but in terms of Belfler, I think where the, the legacy sort of begins and ends, unfortunately for me, it's like they said the person that invented Crocs, you know, making an indestructible shoe, <laughs> they pretty much like destroyed their business. I think that I have a design style and I've been told this by other designers and I'm really humble to any kind of compliment or, you know, acknowledgement yeah, sure. of, of what it is that I do. So right. I say this with humility But I have a design style that I can't teach, Mm -hmm. one, because it's so much in my head and in my thought process of how I'm designing. Um, 
I think that Belfleur would be getting ends with me, unfortunately. And I'm not saying that there wouldn't be a place for, you know, assistance or a buffer for some of my, you know, more sort of heavy work, which is typically weddings. But I think that me being the designer at Belfleur is what gives Belfleur its signature. Sure. Yeah. And brand, I would say. Yeah. That's interesting. Obviously, I'm a guy. I'm a, a man. Someone argued, man, but I'm a guy. So yeah, I you know I never thought about that because there's definitely two different perspectives on that legacy idea for a man and a woman. I and never think. I mean, I I like hearing you talk about that, and I think it's interesting to think about. But it certainly isn't part of my reality yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it should be for anybody. That's the thing I'm wrestling. Yeah, with. Like, no, I get that. I mean, so like. I feel like sometimes we're almost more concerned with that thing lasting beyond us than we are concerned with what the thing that I'm doing, how is it impacting someone now. else's life right, right. now that's mm-hmm. going to better their life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, it's a fascinating idea. The other thing that, that's interesting to me too when you talked about, you know, the Pinterest thing and people bring you pictures and they want it exactly like that or the color may be different all that kind of stuff. Um, I think most artists would argue this, argue this point that part of the beauty is in the blemish or maybe well I don't know take it back because Danielle my girlfriend is a glass artist she's interesting because she when she makes a piece I'll look at that piece and I don't see the blemish in it I just see that's an amazing creation that you just came up with and she's looking at the and I understand this because I'm a musician and I understand I made a mistake no one else knows I made a mistake in that thing mm-hmm. but the only thing I can think of is that mistake that I did and I'm too focused on that but I I, feel, I, I guess me personally, I'm a believer in the fact that there's so much beauty in the blemish. Like, that's part of the beauty and that's part of the rawness of that thing. There is. Uh, you know, and I try to, you know, I think that I have a unique perspective coming to, coming back to my hometown after a decade of being away and starting a business here, but also coming from luxury hospitality where the expectation was very high um, that things be done to such a quality that when I come to, Um, meet with a client, for example, for the first time, particularly if it's a bride, what I try to do out the gate is disarm the whole situation. Mm -hmm. Because typically weddings, there's a lot of pressure on the couple, one. Right. First of all, they've made this decision to have this union. And at some point, you know, and this isn't for everyone, but there's stresses, stressors, whether it's family members, whether it's finances of making this big party a success, All of these things kind of come into this perfect storm that depending on the person's sort of, you know, threads that they have, whether they come unwoven or they, you know, hold it together. And so what I've tried to do, and I think having worked in high pressure environments in the past sort of helps me mitigate these situations, but I try to disarm the situation as much as possible and remind the person that, you know, the guests are going to have a better time if you're having a great time. You know, if right. this flower isn't perfect, you know, if for some reason the sun is hotter that day than we thought it would, you know, are you going to fall to pieces? Are you still going to be able to enjoy yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, I try to bring things down to a very real level. And it's not to lessen the expectation of my work because I know the quality of my work. Right. But I think that, you know, just to everything you said, you know, living in the now, creating a quality experience in the now, not, you know, future freaking or whatever you want to call it, 
you know, you, you can enjoy your life so much more. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, there's so many factors in what you do that like, um, so many uncontrollable factors that control the outcome. They say it's controlled chaos in a way. And it it truly is uh, leading right up to delivering something the day of the wedding, just the Mm -hmm. amount of work that goes into putting it together, even for small weddings and, you know, the client courtship that sort of happens sometimes right. over a year, depending on how bad they want to work with me, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> which is kind of awesome. Um, you know, all of that comes into to play at any given time for me, yeah. for, for what I, for what it is that I do with Bellflare. Yeah. Um, obviously you love art. You're in the art culture. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the art culture of Tampa. You've been to Paris. Yes. You've been all over the world. You've seen art all over mm-hmm. the world. Um, there's a lot of different ideas about art culture in Tampa, whether it exists, whether it's good, whether it's not. Um, do you have a perspective on that? I do. Um, I think that, you know, Tampa-St. Petersburg area is, you know, since we're in the south, you know, we tend to be very provincial in terms of our knowledge of art um, our knowledge of architecture. And I say our, I, I use this very general blanket term because I think in younger parts of the U.S. where you do not have these institutions of art that everyone has become familiar with because it's part of the culture of living in a city. Right. You know, you don't have mass transit. You know, sometimes these these things are not accessible to everyone and in the environment. Um, in a given neighborhood, for example, right. um, just all those practical things that that larger cities offer that make art more accessible, um, you know, to where you don't necessarily have to have some major intellectual thing happening other than just looking and appreciating. And so, I like to dumb down. For the word "dumb" is probably not the right word to use, but for me, what is aesthetically pleasing to one person is extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, the smartest person in the room might completely miss the point, but if someone is moved by something, if they're attracted to something, you know, whether it's graffiti or pottery or whatever, something culinary, yeah. that has value to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think having um, knowledge in terms of art history, in terms of architecture, painting, what have you, other artists is helpful in my life. Mm-hmm. It's certainly enriched my life, but I also think there's just as much value in someone that's never seen the things I've seen. Yeah. Having an appreciation for something local. And, you know, to that point, you know, we're lucky we have the Dali Museum that has the largest collection of masterworks of Salvador Dali in St. Petersburg. Right. Um, the Museum of Fine Arts in St. Pete has an amazing collection of art. Um, the Museum of Art here in Tampa, they get major, major work passing through. They just had a Warhol um, exhibit not long, not long ago. But you also have um, local artists like Theo Widjik, for example, who passed away this past year. Amazing painter, printmaker, who was one of my painting professors at USF, mm-hmm. nationally known. 
Um, you have artists like my brand manager, for example, Chris Kelly, mm -hmm. um, who is extremely connected in, in the art world here in Tampa that's doing really cool things in small galleries. You have graffiti artists like Tess One, Basque, all these guys that are really making moves and sort of enriching what everyone sees in their everyday life here in Tampa. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jay Giroux, um, another local artist that um, is doing a lot more commercial work now, which is great to see because I think there's something that's really awesome when a fine artist can find a voice to communicate to a larger audience. That's right. how I see it. Yeah. Interesting. I, this, the idea of simple is, um, is an interesting idea too because... I mean, let's be honest, art culture can be very pretentious about very. itself. Extremely. Um, and something's always been um, interesting to me is like, art is very subjective. Mm -hmm. People, one person can look at one painting and be completely moved by it, and then the person right next to them can get nothing out of it. You know, but then the idea that, well, how, I can't believe you didn't get moved by that. What's mm -hmm. wrong with you? You have no art culture. You don't understand art or vice versa of, I can't believe you got moved by that thing because it's so simple and there's nothing to it. There's no complexity to it. Right. Um, that I find interesting though, because as you said, you know, the simple things like not that local art is all, is all simple, but um, I mean, art to me is truly art if it's if it moves someone. It doesn't matter if it's just one person or even the person that created it. Absolutely. Um, you know, the simple idea sometimes is the is the thing that's most moving. I Absolutely. I think there's you know there is a vo there is a voice and an audience for for all different kinds of visual art, and I think the important thing is that it continues to be part of our world that we yeah. patron artists that we understand the value of that art, not after they're dead right. and, you know, recognized, you know, around the world or whatever. Right. Um, you know, for me, context is everything. There's a local, uh, tattooer, Crystal Ralph, and I love her artwork. I love it. She does these amazing little erotic pieces that are very tongue in cheek and hilarious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I appreciate them as much as I would appreciate, you know, seeing something in a museum. Yeah. And she's creating every day. And to me, you know, creating something beautiful every day is, is what it's about. You know, whether it's on, it's body art, it's on someone's skin. Yeah. That it's something special to them that lasts for forever. Right. Well, at least their lifetime. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or it's these, these amazing little, you know, pieces of erotic art that she finds relevant and yeah. funny and tongue-in-cheek and all of that yeah how would you encourage somebody uh in that because i think artists probably more than any other thing in life or career or whatever you want to call it in life passion in life um probably has the most scrutiny and the most struggle mm -hmm. to it um if someone starts a business that is you know, I'm going to sell whatever product it is that we have. Like, it's people are encouraged by that. Like, people pat them on the back. Yeah, go do your go do your thing. Go, go start that business and make it make it a success. But then someone says, you know what? I want to go. I want to be an artist and I want to create art. It, they always kind of get looked at, or the encouragement is, Ugh, how are you going to pay your bills? You know. Yeah. Well, that that actually was 
when I decided to go to school for painting and to move to France and all these things that were very outlandish for me, um, at least in my family, I think I had to answer all of those questions at some point. And I think the difference between people that create things with their hands um, visually, um, it's first of all, it's a different kind of intelligence. And it's a type yeah. of emotional intelligence where it's a need, whether mm -hmm. you're a musician or you're a you know, a sculptor, a painter, you know, whatever. Yeah. There's something that motivates you that has to be beyond financial gain. And so some of those conversations won't even make sense to the people that truly have the motivation to create. Right. And I think that, you know, this is also something that's subjective, but, you know, finding an audience for what you create is going to be key. Um, you know, for me... For Belfleur, I should say, that's a niche market for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's like a hail, throwing a Hail Mary in a football game yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to make a living and sustain yourself off right. of something like that. Yeah. I don't, I prefer not to give that kind of advice to people. I feel like it's a dream killer. And I yeah. think that if you, you know, when you take risks in life, even if you don't ultimately end up doing what it is that you, you're risking, you're, yeah. you're taking the risk for, there's always some kind of lesson in that kind of bravery where another door might open for you. Or right. there's a lesson that's extremely enriching or punishing for that matter, but it's character building mm -hmm. to where, you know, far be it from me to tell someone, you know, what is or isn't possible to them or to judge their skill set or skill level based on my knowledge. I mean, what do I know? At yeah. the end of the day, I only know what I know. Yeah. And <laughs> the relevance of that point. might not stretch beyond this room. No, I'm not I sure. Think, so. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. Because, uh, I mean, the you're right. The Giving that advice to... You know, when someone expresses their dream or their passion mm -hmm. and giving the advice of, well, I don't know, you can't, you're not going to make it, blah, blah, blah. I, you're right. I think that is an assumption of what I know is all there is to know. But like you said, what you know is all, is all that you know. You know your experience. You know the lessons you've learned. Um, that's interesting. I never thought about it in that way. But it, I feel like if more people had that mentality of like, I don't know, maybe you can make it. Are you passionate about it? Great. Do it. Like what do you Some of those questions get answered for the person in, in the course of their process. You know, mm -hmm. I think there's a certain toughness that, you know, and rigor, you, you, to get back to your original question about, you know, people that are artists and, you know, how difficult that is, whether you're a musician or a painter or whatever. I mean, for, for you know, even just mentioning, um, you know, Josh Pearson from Pep Rally Inc., Mm -hmm. You know, these guys that, that they're artists, I mean, yeah. they, they, they paint, there's right. no question. And the skill set is incredibly refined, right. but they are able to do something commercially to support themselves. I mean, to me, there's a lot of people in the fine art world that would poo poo that, you know, right. but yeah. that's the enemy. If well, that's what I've done. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't care what anyone yeah. thinks. And I think that goes back to the, you know, the question of why it is that you're sitting here with me. You must see that in me that I really don't yeah, care exactly. what anyone thinks. So. Of course. <laughs> I think that's an innate thing. And part of why I started this podcast is, I'm, is that um, I, that's very much my personality. And I'm, I'm genuinely fascinated and inspired by people that that's their attitude. That against... Um, all, you know, whatever advice or discouragement someone would give them that they go, yeah, 
I understand, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to go do this thing because that's what I'm passionate about. And it may not work out, but that's okay because I'm going to go and I'm going to do this thing. And I'll take my hits and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make my way. And if I end up coming back to what you told me, great. But at least I tried it. At least I tried the thing I was passionate about. I hope to be the person that I never say to someone, particularly about Belfler, that you were right. I shouldn't have done that because mm. I heard a lot of that when I first started. Yeah. And it was it was a real test because those hours can be very lonely when you're doubting yeah. yourself or sure. when you're broke or you're trying to figure out you know how you're going to move your business to the next phase. Mm-hmm. But I would argue also. You know, someone gave me some unsolicited relationship advice mm. recently, and you know me well. Mm. I don't, I don't ask just anyone for their opinion. Uh, the unsolicited advice. Yeah, the unsolicited advice, and you know, I think that loving, you know, whether it's in your, I think family is innate because it's where you come from. There's a love there. There's respect there. But I think when you put yourself out there emotionally. Um, in love, it would be the same kind of boldness, really, when you think about it. Unless yeah. you're, unless you're, you're judging what love looks like simply off of a paper resume. Yeah. Which is, you know, where's the bravery in that? That's right. like the ultimate safe. This yeah. person looks great on paper. Okay. Right. So you 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 decide what the face of love looks like, like off of, mm-hmm. you know, just like what you said, what your legacy is going to be. Not now. You're not yeah. living in the now. You're living in the oh. You know, and so I look at it kind of the same way with with how I've sort of thrown myself into Belfler. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's great. It's funny you mentioned that because Joel and I, Davis and I, and our when I interviewed him for the podcast, that was we kind of got into love a little bit and talk in relationships and mm-hmm. like, I mean, the ultimate boldness that that is of marrying someone and committing you know committing your whole life to the other person, and I mean that's the ultimate boldness. Of, taking a step of, of faith because it's not you can't control that you can't control them loving you all you can control is I'm going to do my best to love you even if you even if you break my heart and you everything goes wrong I'm choosing to love you I love that I think that's beautiful and I think that they're such an awesome couple to sort of mm-hmm. serve as that example oh yeah absolutely yeah they're great they're great in that so um, we're getting close to our time here, but one, one question I always ask everybody that I interview is I'm curious about because um, the fascination that I have about people boldly stepping out and doing the thing that they love and against the odds, against the advice, against whatever fear mm-hmm. that stands in the way, they step out, they boldly go, they, they use their creativity, their inspiration, their brilliance to do something to make a mark on this earth. And I think there's a lot of people that are that are that don't ever do it because of fear or whatever the case may be. Um, and I hope this podcast serves in a way for them to be inspired and to be able to say, yeah, there's other there's other people that did it, and there's a there's a group of people, there's people all over the planet that are doing things, and so if they can do it, I can do it also. I can I can try it. I can take that step. My question is, uh, and I get a varied answer on this every time is do you think everyone has the capacity to do that? To take that step and boldly go and do the thing they're passionate about? That's such a 
loaded question. <laughs> um, I said I wasn't going to use um, but you stump, mm. you've stumped me. <laughs> I think that there are ways of doing things in every day that can be bold. Yeah. I think there's minute ways. If that's all the person has the bravery to do in that moment, whether it's standing up for someone else, whether it's making some kind of you know domestic change or changing jobs or taking on more responsibility to support their children or donating to a charity that they've never donated before. Mm -hmm. I think that all of the small acts also, you know, what do they say? The, what is the saying? It's the mighty, one of the mighty tide lifts the, the something about the waves, ri the rising, tide. rising tides, waves, whatever yeah. you want to call it. I don't know. Right, right. All right. You get where I'm going yeah, with yeah, this. Yeah, okay. Right, right. So, you know, it's like as infinite as all the stars in the universe. I think yeah. that each each one, the the more of them there are, the the brighter, yeah. you know, the light. Yeah. And so I would liken it to that. I don't think everyone is meant to do, you know, to be Steve Jobs or mm -hmm. whoever. Right. Oprah Winfrey. Like all of right. these epic people that do yeah. these epic things and have these, you know, these huge machines behind them. But I think that, you know... Each human being is born with some gift, some sensibility, something that's unique to them that is extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. And I think recognizing that in every day and every mm -hmm. moment, creating beauty in these little vignettes right. is just as valuable as, you know, me, single girl, starting a business in her hometown, you know, trying to create something meaningful and beautiful. Yeah. It's just as valuable. That's awesome. That's so, yes. All of the, yes to all of what you just said. I'm, yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Because you're right, I think we live in a world that, that all the Steve, the Steve Jobs of the world are great inspiration. But I think we get so caught up in, like, that's what I have to be. And they, yeah. like you said, creating beauty every day, we don't see the small beauty in the, the kindness that we give to the person in front of us or, um, you know, the, un, the unrecognized thing. The unsung do. hero. Yeah. I have a girlfriend who is, you know, her husband is deployed right now, special forces. He's a doctor in the army and she's raising their daughter. Mm -hmm. And she sent me a photo of her baby sleeping on her chest the other night. And it was so touching because she's being extremely brave. Mm -hmm. She's ultimately unselfish every moment of the day for yeah. this beautiful little child and to me, that is way cooler than what I'm doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. It's a beautiful point. Uh, well, on that note, uh, Bell Floor is your business. What do you do? You have anything coming up? You want to promote? This is probably going to go out sometime in February. So, oh well. Uh, okay, I will share this. Valentine's to me. It is, it is probably the time of year that I, I will say that I'm the least romantic, but I'm certainly happy to provide <laughs> some fire for any of your relationships. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Handmade flowers can never yeah. go wrong. You can never go wrong with flowers. There's no one that's ever unhappy receiving something yeah. like that. Absolutely. Well, and to something that is uh, handcrafted, artisan handcrafted, made. Handcrafted, Absolutely. Yeah. Artisan made, that's where it's at. Yeah. Small business, artisan made, 
Yeah, agreed. Awesome. So uh, your website or social media, like absolutely, it out there. Um, it's Um You can also find me on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, all of the usual platforms. And uh, I'm Belfleur, right? Yep, Belfleur. How do you spell that? Bell is B E L L E. Mm-hmm. Fleur is F L E U R, and that is beautiful flower in French. Hmm. I didn't know that. I meant to ask you what that means. You just answered it. There you awesome. have it. Um, well, thank you for thank you for the time. Thank Thanks you for, being for awesome. having. Well, thank. Well, <laughs> thank you for being awesome. You're my you're my hero in many many ways. I admire so much of what you do. So, and it's a huge compliment to be asked to be part of your podcast. So, thank wow. you. Thanks. I, it's not about me. This is about you. But thank you. <laughs> thank you for saying that. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for taking some time to listen uh, to the podcast today. And um, go check out Natalie's stuff. Uh, truly is. I've never been someone that uh, ultimately cared that much about flowers until I met Natalie because uh, her creations are great. They're beautiful, and there's something about that handmade artisan um, uh, piece to it that is even that much deeper in beauty. So, uh, as she says, create beauty every day. Please go create beauty every day. Do something. And as I like to always in the podcast, um, encouraging you or asking you, what can you do today or tomorrow in your life to to step out and boldly go to do something. And I would say, put it in these terms, what can you do today to boldly go and create beauty today in someone else's life uh, to ultimately make the world a better place? So thanks. Go do that. Think about it. Go do something. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Everybody's done.